So many stories fill the pages of life. Some chapters you can be proud to tell. Others you'd rather skip. The day life really turns a page is when you let God be the author of your story. Let God write your story and you'll live a story worth telling. My story, I decided to start. All right, well, welcome to Fieldstone Church. My name is Justin. I think we'd all agree that we all have a story. A lot of it is positive, right? There's parts that we're pretty proud to talk about and tell people about, people that we've had a chance to meet and begin relationships with, places we've been allowed to go, experiences we've been able to have, decisions that we've made. But on the other side, there are negative sides of our story that maybe we're not so proud of, places we wish we hadn't been, people we wish we hadn't had relationships with, decisions we wish had gone the other way. And in the midst of all of that, the positive and the negative, those things make up who we are today, where we are today, what we're about today, what our priorities are, what we're known for. All of those things combine to form the story that we live. And what we realize over the course of time is that sometimes the smallest little things, things that are seemingly insignificant, add up to pretty major significant long-term change and impact over time. I remember... uh, 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 starting in college, I was at Eastern Michigan University. I was going to be a history teacher, wanted to be a high school history teacher. Uh, and a few months in, I realized through you know, different circumstances and prayer and those things that God was calling me to ministry. And so Eastern Michigan doesn't have a great pastor's degree. So I had to transfer to a different school, ended up at Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids. And uh, now, obviously, when you're switching career paths, you're switching colleges, that's, that's not a little decision, but sometimes there are There are waves that are made from that decision bigger than what I ever anticipated. In fact, within the first two days of being on campus at Cornerstone, I met Kathy. And we got married, and it's been a fairy tale ever since. But when you think about that, some of you have just sent kids to college. Some of you have recently started college, and imagine that your kid may have met their future spouse in the last week or two. Scary, right? Yeah, scary. But that was us. And so this, this decision that I thought was affecting this thing really affected so much more of my life than I ever imagined. And then fast forward a few years, and we had been married a couple years, did kind of the stereotypical thing. We rented an apartment for a couple years and saved up and got to the point where we were ready to buy, you know, American dream type stuff. We both had full-time jobs finally. And so we thought, okay, we could afford an older fixer-upper type house, but that's not really us. I don't have those skills. I don't have that patience. So we went the other way and got a brand new condo, first, uh, first buyers, um, and we got what we thought was an amazing deal on this condo halfway through 2007. And so for those of you who were around and either bought a house or owned a house or tried to sell a house from like 08 to 2013, terrible time to be in real estate. So we got this great deal. No, the first few years, not that big of a deal. We were living there. We were doing fine. We were paying bills. But then in 2011, we moved to the east side of the state and had to leave that condo behind. And we tried renting and the mortgage for a while. And we had a renter, but it wasn't really solid. It was like, man, we cannot afford these two things. So we had to do a short sale on the condo. And so little did we know back in 2007 that this easy decision, this simple thing that everybody does would turn into a lot of learning experiences, a lot of stress. And so these little things amount to a lot. And so the thing that we have to to camp on over the course of this series, we're going to talk about it at the beginning, the middle, and the end of almost every talk of these four weeks, is the fact that decisions that we make today 
the choices we make, the people we interact with, the things that we decide to do or not to, the, the decisions that we make today will determine the God story that we get to tell tomorrow. It all plays out. How do we live the story that we want to tell? How do we live a story worth telling? Now, I want to throw this out up front. This is not life coaching with Pastor Justin. Okay, that's not what this is. This is not carpe diem. This isn't shoot for the stars. This isn't chase your dreams. This is asking the question, how do we let God write our story? And the verse that we're going to hit uh, at least a little bit every week comes from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, kind of a mix of verse 1 and 2. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and the perfecter of our faith. And the thing that we have to navigate, and we're not going to camp on it too long, is just this, this, this contrast between author and pioneer because both of those words fit with what is used there. So you have the author side where you have they're writing the story, they're in control, it's coming straight from their mind onto the paper, and the only choice we have is to read it or in this case live it. It's very set. And so we have the sovereignty of God. He is in control. It's his story. It's, it's his plan being worked out through our lives. But in many ways, that feels very rigid, right? But God isn't just about controlling everything. There's a balance there. So you go to the pioneer side, and the pioneers, they're, they're just living something out for us to follow. They're setting an example that we can come behind and try to live up to and try to follow that path. And so it's a mix of the two. And so if you're sitting out there thinking, man, it feels like I have no control. Does God just lay everything out? Yeah, kind of. And you might be thinking, man, it feels like I, I have too much freedom. Well, the, there's a mix of both. You have the choices that you're allowed to make, but ultimately it's God's story that he wants to write through us. And, and, and the more that we can get on board with that idea, the better things are going to be for us. And so throughout this series, we're going to hit some practical examples, practical challenges, and really create an opportunity for some turning points in our lives where we can say things like, you know what, once upon a time, I decided to start. Or I decided to stop. Maybe I decided to go when it would have been easier to stay. Or I decided to stay when maybe everyone thought I should go. And so we're looking at those things, ultimately looking at the example of Christ and relying on his example of how to live. And so each week we're going to look at different characters from the Old Testament and see how some of the decisions that they made ultimately changed everything for them and set the tone for their story. Now another note. We're not going to be paralyzed by over-spiritualizing different parts of our lives. Like this isn't, Father God, I want you to write my story, so please tell me eggs or pancakes this morning. Which direction should I go? Everything rides on this one. That's not how we're going to, we're not going to live that way. We're not going to teach that way. That's not where we're going. But the key questions are, who is Jesus and what has he already accomplished for me, right? Because there's certain areas of life and eternity that we don't have to worry about because it's already taken care of. But who has he called me to be? What has he called me to be? How can I learn from the examples in Scripture? And the reason why we answer those questions and look at that aspect is because if we live the way he wants us to live, we will live the story that he wants us to experience and we'll experience the transformation that he wants us to experience. So today we begin with, I decided to start. Let's pray. God, as we dive into this both today and over the next few weeks, I pray that something would grab us. Uh, you know where each of us are at individually, where our families are at. You know the things that we're struggling with, the things that are in our future. Uh, God, I pray that in some way we would be challenged to look at our lives, to look at the story that we're living, 
and choose to get on board a little bit more with what you're doing and what you want for us. God, I pray that you would reveal those things and give us the courage to live them out. In Jesus' name, amen. So sometimes you have to start a new thing in order to experience change long term. So some, mon- some mundane stuff that actually has a pretty big impact, stuff like flossing. Right? They say flossing can have a, an impact on your entire physical well-being, not because fixing your teeth fixes the rest of you, but it's a habit that creates a culture of other habits that lead to other health in your body. Things like regular car maintenance. Okay? Getting your oil changed doesn't keep the tires full of air. But in some way, some of those little habits can have a big impact over the course of the lifetime of a car. Writing thank you notes. They say that's one of those things, a little habit, a little discipline that leads to a cultural thing in your life that has a bigger impact. Little things that lead to a big change long term. Now, some important notes. Again, we're not here to, to give you dental health, right? Like if you get to the end of this month and we've gone through this series, you're like, Justin, I decided to get my teeth clean. It's been the biggest thing. And you're like, man, I'm the worst preacher ever because that is not where we were trying to go. So this isn't dental health. Like I said, this isn't following your dreams. If you get to the end of this month and you decide to start a new business, fantastic. I'm happy for you. But that's not the overarching goal. That's not the focus. What we're talking about is potentially life-altering disciplines and habits on the spiritual side where there are things that if you can start doing them, things that you should start, things that you can start that can lead to big changes over time, changes in the most important areas of your life, namely the spiritual side, on the side of your faith. But unfortunately, so many people, when we talk about change, when we talk about making these kinds of decisions, so many people never experience change in their lives. On the spiritual side, on the everyday life side, they just don't, and they they just live the same things over and over, and they experience the same things over and over. No joy, no newness, no willingness to experience more. And one of the big roadblocks that allows people to experience that is they have this incorrect belief that a change has to be big. It's got to be this big, grandiose, black and white, you know, rags to riches. It's got this big thing, and it's got to happen big, and it's got to happen now, or it's not going to happen. But here's why choosing to start is is the place we need to begin this series. It's because studies have shown that for each person, there are certain small habits, small disciplines that will A, set the tone for bigger habits and bigger disciplines, and B, lead to long-term impact and transformation. So I'll give you an example. For me, I'm, I'm going to uh, talk about Mondays for a second. Monday is my Saturday. Monday is my day off, right? That's the day I mow the lawn. That's the day I uh, never go grocery shopping with Kathy and I stay home and watch TV. Okay, so that's the day when family stuff gets done, uh, stuff around the house, in the yard, in the garage, whatever. That's this day things are going to get done. Now, I spend plenty of time watching Sports Center, so that's a big part of my Monday. But if I wake up on Monday and I want to accomplish anything, first thing that has to happen is a shower. Because for whatever reason, when I take a shower, it signals my brain and my body, it's time to get moving. Things are going to happen today. And it's funny, I was talking to someone after the first service, and he said, I'm the exact opposite. If I wake up after a full night's sleep and I take a shower right away, I'm going right back to bed because it knocks me out. So everybody's different, but for whatever reason, when I take a shower, it's time to get going. And then step two I got to put shoes on. Now, I've got clothes and stuff. We skipped that part. But if I put shoes on, that signals my body and my brain that today is a task day. 
We're going to work today. We're going to do some things. Even, now, there are days uh, got quite a bit of flexibility around here because uh, Joe's my only employee, and I can just tell him to do whatever I want him to do. So if I want, I can stay home and work. I'll work from the kitchen table and things like that. But if I wake up and I'm in socks or slippers, I have a hard time getting going. But if I put shoes on first thing, for whatever reason, shower and shoes signals, okay, this is a little thing. It's not that big of a deal, but it signals that there's going to be some motivation. There's going to be some productivity. And so just like the presence of those positive habits in my life signals a presence of motivation and impact and change, the absence of those little disciplines creates an absence of the impact and the motivation, and the change. And so if we can apply that to our walk with Christ, if we can decide to start the right things, the right habits, the right disciplines, that can set the tone for what God wants to do in us and through us, both now and in the future. So what we're going to do today is look at Daniel, character from the Old Testament. Um, And you probably know Daniel. This is Daniel from the lion's den. This is Daniel from the Daniel fast, I don't know if you've done a Daniel fast. It sounds awful. It's like a mixture of, I, I don't know all the details. It's like broccoli and water for six months. I don't know. But it, I'm not going to do the Daniel fast. You can do the Daniel fast. But if you've heard of the Daniel fast, we're talking about the same Daniel. And we can talk about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They were buddies of Daniel and the whole fiery furnace thing. So as we go into Daniel chapter 6, what we find ourselves is the Jewish people are enslaved and in exile in Babylon. And the ruler of that time is King Darius. And Darius is appointing 120 governors that they called satraps to help rule the country on behalf of the king. Now, these satraps were almost exclusively members of the royal family, okay? Could be brother, sister, aunt, uncle, could be third, fourth, cousin, twice removed, some type of royal blood to be a part of leadership. Now, Daniel somehow finds his way in there. He's not royalty. He's a part of these people who are actually enslaved in Babylon, and yet over the years kind of made an impression from one level to next, worked his way up, and he was assigned to be one of these governors. Now, not only that, but the king set up three of these governors to be over all the other 117 governors, and Daniel was made one of those three. And not only that, the king was about to make him number one over the other two satraps, over the other 117. And so as you can imagine, these members of the family, these, these people from royal blood, were starting to get a little bit jealous of this situation because this guy is not only not royalty, but he's a slave in many ways, and he's being promoted over every, everyone else. And the king is saying, I trust him more than I trust you. And so that's where we pick it up. Daniel uh, chapter 6 Starting in verse 1, in the first couple verses, will be a little bit uh, kind of recapping what I just said. But Daniel 6.1, it said, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were uh, made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel was so distinguished among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. 
Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of God. First, how amazing if somebody ever said that about us. But here's Daniel, no charge that they could find against him. So not only is this guy a man of integrity, he's not only a good guy, but he's actually really good at his job. And so these people realize that the only way they're going to get this guy is if they make his faith or some aspect of his faith illegal. That's where Daniel finds himself. So continuing on in chapter 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. Yeah, they're going to blow smoke up his butt the rest of this chapter, so just be ready. (laughs) The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and the governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days Except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. And so this is the scenario they lay out. But, but here's the thing. Why is Daniel so solid? Why is he so good at his job? How did he become a man of such integrity? How did he rise to such a prominent position? Why did God show him favor? Why was he ultimately saved from the lion's den? If you haven't read the story, go read Daniel. It's crazy. I was talking to Joe after the first sermon. I was like, man, we could tell more about Daniel, but it'd take five weeks. So here's the thing. He makes it out of the lion's den. There's deliverance, okay? But why would God do that for him? I think it comes down to a decision that Daniel made so many years earlier And it's a decision that I believe was the catalyst for his journey through the Babylonian system. Now, any decision that Daniel made, anything that he did, anything he incorporated into his life, anything that we could do in our lives is no guarantee of success. It's no guarantee of wealth. It's no guarantee of health. But in this scenario, I think it set the tone for the course of Daniel's life and was the key habit and the key discipline behind everything that he experienced. So one more verse, Daniel 6.10. So when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home, got in his upstairs room with the windows open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, key phrase to end this verse, just as he had done before. Who knows how long Daniel had been doing this, right? Months, years, maybe decades Three times a day, an appointment with God where he worshiped, he prayed, he aligned his heart with God's heart, and he kept the main thing, the main thing. But at some point, Daniel decided to start praying three times a day, and God used it to transform his story into something that teaches us and inspires us even today. So here's the thing. Just like we said at the beginning, the decisions we make determine the God stories we get to tell. And so a question that we're going to ask every week is, what does God want you to want? What does God want you to want? What's the story God wants you to be able to tell five years from now, 10 years from now? I think many of us would admit that the story we're currently living, maybe even just the chapter that we're currently living, isn't the story that we want for ourselves and quite possibly not the story God wants for us. And I think along with that, we might admit that we need to make some changes to the present in order to change the story that we can tell in the future. Maybe some of you need a new financial story. 
You're not living God's way financially. But if you start today, maybe your story someday could include the line, we used to be in major debt, but now we're crazy generous. Maybe you need a new story about your priorities. And someday your story could include the line, I used to be obsessed with work. Maybe you need a new story about your spiritual growth. And your story someday needs to include the line, I was a believer, but I wasn't really doing much about it. But then I decided to start. Maybe you need a healthier temple for the Holy Spirit. And you need to be able to say, I was struggling with my physical health, my mental health. But then I decided to start. And maybe God wants a new story for your family. Maybe he wants a new story for your neighborhood or your friends or the people in your life who don't know Christ. And you need a story that includes the phrase, I decided to start. So what does God want you to want? What does he care about in your life? What does he care about in your future that he wants you to care about? What does he want you to do? What does he want for your life that he wants you to desire from him? What does God want you to want? I want you to take some time today and throughout the week to think through that. Maybe some of you, something came to your mind right away and you're like, yeah, I've actually kind of been stewing on this already. I've been ignoring that little voice in my head and I already know what it is, but maybe you need to spend some more time on that this week. But whatever it is, ask that question, what does God want me to want? And then I want you to follow that question up with, what does God want you to start? Based on what he wants me to want, based on the future that he wants me to experience, based on the story he wants to write in my life, what do I need to start? What do you need to start doing right now in order to tell the story God wants you to tell later on? Where you can say, Lord, one year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, what story do you want me to tell and what spiritual habit, what discipline do I need to start in order to live that story? For me... And thinking about this the last couple weeks, and I was like, well, I'm the pastor. I guess I should probably do this too, just to be fair. <laughs> it was hard just, just to find something that I'm not good at. But uh, <laughs> if you're new, uh, sometimes I talk tough, but I'm really just kind of pathetic deep down. <laughs> um, so for me, I've decided to try, and I don't know if I've been doing well at this. I'll have to ask Kathy later on because I didn't tell her I was going to start trying it. I just noticed that coming home from work, I'd immediately be back on my phone, checking Twitter, checking email, just whatever. And even if we were sitting watching a show or watching a game, I would go to Twitter and see what other people were saying about it, and just always in the phone. And so I decided that uh, I'm going to start getting home and setting the phone aside from the time I get home to the time the kids go to bed. Because I just, I don't want to be that dad who the kids tell stories at my funeral like, oh, remember he was always looking at his phone? So weird. I don't want to be that guy. So I'm going to start putting my phone aside from when I get home to when I go to bed. Now, maybe that's you. Maybe that's something different for you, but some ideas. Uh, you can't have a spiritual ministry without a physical body. So maybe you need to start some form of exercise or incorporate a diet, right? Maybe work has become too much of a priority for you. Maybe you are what we'd call a workaholic. Maybe you need to start setting boundaries. Maybe you've realized you don't know the Bible as well as you'd like. Well, maybe you need to decide to start a reading plan that takes you through the Bible every year. Maybe you want to be a person of greater faith, someone who has a great dependence on God. Maybe you need to start a fast, maybe the Daniel fast. I'm not helping, but you can go for it. Maybe you need to give something away that's significant in your life in order to foster further dependence on God. Maybe you're trying to overcome an insecurity, an addiction, materialism, unforgiveness. Maybe you needed to decide to start counseling of some sort. 
Maybe your marriage is feeling a bit dry. Maybe it's been struggling lately. Maybe you need to start praying together. Maybe you need to start scheduling rather regular date nights that you can enjoy together. If you want to grow as a leader, you want to grow as a mom, you want to grow as a husband, maybe you need to find a mentor and start meeting with them regularly and get a regular coffee on the schedule and start learning from them and gleaning from them. If you're at a place where you feel like God is trying to grab you or tell you something or take you somewhere and is trying to teach you something, you just can't get that clarity, maybe you need to start journaling and allow that to kind of work on your mind and your heart a little bit. Maybe you need to get your finances together. Maybe you need to start a budget. Maybe you need to start into an, a financial peace class. Maybe you need to start tithing. Whatever it is, God will bless our decisions to start because it allows him to write his story in our lives. And not only that, but he carries us through the ups and downs. We can go to Luke 22 where Jesus is getting to the end. The cross is coming and we see a very interesting thing happen where in the midst of that stress, in the midst of that trial, he disappears to the garden to pray. But in that chapter, it says, not only did he disappear, but it says, depending on the version you read, as usual or as was his custom, he withdrew to pray. See, he didn't start reacting that way and retreating with God when the end was near. It was something that he was doing on a regular basis. It was a habit. It was a discipline. And God used it to carry him through the calling that he had placed him on earth for. What do you need to start? Based on where God wants to take you, based on what he wants to do in your life and through your life, based on the story he wants you to tell one year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, what do you need to start? What little habit, what little spiritual discipline do you need to incorporate in order to be a catalyst for future change? Because honestly, we, we all look around. We can look at different people's lives and stories. We can look at the Bible. We can look at everyday life. But people who's whose results that we're impressed by, people whose lives inspire us. They have the marriage that you want. They have the spiritually grounded kids that you want. Their finances are in order. They, they have good balance to their schedule. They seem to be pretty healthy. They have good perspective on life. They have lots of faith. They seem like they always have the wise answer. It's not an accident. It's not an accident. They, didn't, they weren't born that way. At some point, those people, those families, those couples made the decision to start something. One of those disciplines, one of those habits, one of those little changes, and those things have made up a bigger long-term story that they're now experiencing, and you can start that too. So decide today the story God wants you to tell tomorrow and simply take that first step. The band's going to come and, and lead us through one more song, but uh, we, we got to hit this, and, and we'll hit it throughout the series. It's something that we emphasize here on a regular basis because we talk about marriage, we can talk about your life, we can talk about work, we can talk about all these different things. I don't care what change you want to see. I don't care what you think you need to start. The very first step is experiencing a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're out there and you're 8, 9, 10, or you're 50, 60, 70 years old, if you haven't come to a place where you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Savior, recognizing and admitting that you are fallen and sinful in His eyes, recognizing that the only solution is Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, that is the first thing. That is where it starts. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never made that decision, if that's something that you've never come to the place in your life, I want to talk to you. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. Come find me. Send me an email. Talk to Joe. Talk to any of our volunteers with a lanyard. They'll make sure you have the right conversation because nothing else matters. Right. 
If we're not found in Christ, that's where it has to begin. Let's stand and pray as we get ready to sing. God, once again, just thank you for the simplicity of these things that you give us in Scripture. God, for the examples of people like Daniel and so many others who, who were found faithful. And God, I admit many times it seems out of reach. It seems too big. It, it seems like too long of a process. But God, I pray that you'd give us the clarity to see some of those little things that you want to mess with. And then to have the courage to take that first step and make the decision to decide to start. And God, again, as we go through this series, I pray that you'd work on us little by little, grab those little weak spots and and convict us of the things that you want to do in our lives. And I pray that coming out of this, we'll have a little bit clearer picture of not only what you want us to do, but who you want us to be in Christ. God, do something new in us. Spring up something fresh in us. Make us what you want us to be. And we'll celebrate you in the process. We pray this in Jesus' name.